coming to you from Michigan, USA, and listened to by people all over the planet. Get ready to be safe and sound with Sean Sparkman. Sparkman. Never take your eyes off your opponent, even when you bow. Welcome to the Safe and Sound Podcast. My name is Sean Sparkman, your host. I'm really excited to be bringing you today out of North Carolina, a gentleman by the name of Paul Durso. Paul, it's great to have you on the show today. Thanks, Sean. Love to be here. I'm so glad to be here, actually. <laughs> yeah, and I, I've been uh, itching to have you on the show because you're an interesting individual. So can you tell people a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Been a financial advisor now for a couple decades. Makes myself feel very old saying that. Came out of college, was actually planning to be a, a pastor, youth pastor, and uh, God, God had different plans for me and came into the finance world. And uh, let me tell you, over 20 years, I've made just about every mistake in the business. But there's one thing that I've realized through this, and even my passion to become a pastor, is that I just love serving people. And um, and that's kept me true to what this business is about, which is about other people. And regardless of the fact that this business is incredibly hard, if you're focused on people and you're focused on serving them where they need to be served, you know, you can get through all the, the muck and the hard aspects of the planning in this business. And you can really meet people where they're at and help them get what they need even though the environment is constantly changing. I absolutely love that attitude because if you've listened to any of the past episodes that I've done, everything that I talk about is at the end of the day, it's about relationships, relationships with whoever it may be, whether it's your family or it's with God, like you were mentioning, or if you go to the client relationship, you have to serve others. So I love that you have that attitude. I don't think I'd be able to stay in this business if I wasn't focused on people because of the stress the enduring nature of continually having to learn and stay on top of laws, regulations, planning techniques. It's just so overwhelming. And then you throw in things that we're going through now economically and, and the health environment. I mean, it's just the responsibility that people have, you know, for retirement and making sure they have enough money. And then the responsibility of the advisor to make sure that, you know, not too many mistakes are had where that doesn't become a reality, it, it can be overwhelming. And if you don't have that client elevated high enough as the number one priority, you're just going to stress yourself right out of this business. And because there's just, I mean, people feel it. This environment, I feel like there's more stress, there's more anxiety. Unfortunately, there's more suicide and there's a lot going on in today's environment. And it just brings the reality of certainty. It brings the reality of fear into the forefront of everybody's, you know, planning for their future and planning for the safety of health. And it's a tough environment. And you know this, Sean, we deal with that almost on a daily basis in, through the lens of planning for retirement. Yeah, 100%. And it's been a very interesting time, to say the least for this uh, first part of the year of 2020. And uh, I, I, I'm excited and interested to see what's going to happen in the future because there's a lot of great planning, as I'm sure you've experienced, even though there's all these forces that are 
you know, driving things crazy, there's still a lot of really great things that we've been able to do for clients. So could you talk a little bit about how what you do is a little bit different than the rest of everyone out there? Sure. So what is really funny, you know, that you, you set it up that way, you know, we got, we're, when you reach a certain level in our industry, you get audited as you grow and hit these different levels of size and, you know, the governing bodies come in. And the last time we got audited, the head auditor comes sitting down and he's going through, or she's going through, her name was Betty Guido. <laughs> Probably shouldn't say that, but it was just an intimidating, intimidating name, you know. And she's sitting down and she's asking us what we what we sell as a firm, you know, how we manage assets. And she's like, how many mutual funds do you sell? And we were like, none. And she's like, well, well, how many how many bonds do you sell? And we were like, none. She's like, well, how? Oh, ah, you, you can almost see like the the bulb light bulb goes off. She's like, well, how many ETFs do you sell? And we were like, zero. And she's back. She kind of throws her pen on the table in frustration. And she's like, well, what the heck do you sell? And we're like the most obvious thing that you haven't asked. And we're in, in, almost like irritated. And we're like stocks, dividend paying stocks. I mean, the from a management standpoint, we're we're using the most common investment vehicle, which is a dividend producing stock. I mean, there's other things, preferred stocks, but it's all stock related. And if there's one bit of advice, you know, in, in a blanket standpoint that I could give anybody you know, in, in passing. And it's my cardinal rule of investing. When you invest, it should always be to invest for income. That means you get paid to hold an investment. And that's been a lost form. That's been a lost strategy. Most people invest for growth. They're like, hey, I'll buy that for a hundred bucks. Hopefully I'll be able to sell it for 200 or, you know, a thousand. And that's when most people look at the stock market. Hey, I'm going to give you this. You give me a whole bunch more. And we're just left with frustration and doubt and anxiety because the market fluctuates so much. And there's one bit of advice I can give is invest for income, like dividends for interest, that even if you don't get that glorified growth, this, you know, I give you 100, you give me 200 back, you at least get paid to hold it. And my number one cardinal rule of investing is you never sell, you only exchange. And I would liken that to needing a paycheck, but desiring to quit your job. You know, you're like, I hate my environment. I need to quit. And you're like, but I need the money. Well, that's how you should view your investments. That if you're getting paid to hold them, you're not going to quit, right? You're just going to keep your money there. And the worst thing somebody could have done in this environment back in April, March, <laughs> is sell. Because look, as fast as the market went down, as fast as it came back up, it's still volatile. But it was like, I mean, it's a slingshot, right? It's been pulled back yeah. and shot forward. If you would have sold, you'd have missed out on, on all of the growth. I mean, we're virtually back to where we were, a few, few points away as of, as of this recording. But the truth is, you'd have missed out on all of that if you would have panicked. Yeah, and that makes 100% sense to me. It's been crazy the volatility right we had some of the fastest drops in history at the time and we've also had some of the fastest recovery that we've ever seen because this is a you know black swan event something that we've never seen before in the history of our nation right yeah i mean we've definitely been through some some pandemics before in american history but the speed of which this took over the world and the speed of which this affected 
not only in American economy, but the world economy has never been seen before, which was, I mean, it was tough to stomach. I mean, watching the market drop, you know, eight to 12% in consecutive, consecutive, consecutive days. I mean, that was, that was tough. And most people were in such shock that they just, they didn't do anything. We kind of buried ourselves in our houses, you know, and it was because it hit the two most, the two most guarded areas of our life, our money and our health. I mean, our health is number one and money is a close second. So this affected both. So when you affect both of those coveted, you know, aspects in our life, I mean, what do you do? Most of us just crawl up into a shell and don't do anything. There are a few people that panic and they, they're proactive and they try to get out and time it. I mean, John, you and I were working with somebody through this. And I mean, he said the market's just, it's going to bottom out. I mean, it's going to go way down. And he had said that at the bottom. And, yep. and I'll never forget. I was like, I, I just can't see it. I mean, all indicators are like, we're there. And he's like, no, this is going to go way down. And, and he's like, I'm, 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 I'm not ready to get back in. And I, and I, I remember, I don't know if you remember that conversation, but we were oh, like, yeah, I remember it very vividly because he also got out near that bottom too. It wasn't he quite got at right the very out. bottom, but he got out and he was, you know, so frozen that he couldn't make a decision one way or the other because he was afraid that it was going to keep on going. Yeah, and that was very frustrating from your position because we don't know the future. You don't know the future. I don't know the future. But as a counselor, as an investment advisor, you know, as a coach, you know, you sit back and you're like, it's, it's kind of like parenting. You don't know the future, but you know the odds are X. You know that, hey, if you do that, not a whole lot of good things are going to take place. And, you know, the investment philosophy that you, that I've chosen to invest in has everything to do with making a paycheck. And the value of where the market was during that conversation, if anybody, you know, whoever's listening right now, I mean, the value where the market is, there's so much opportunity to get paid through dividend income. And it's not just about the value. Now, value matters, meaning I can buy a stock for 50 bucks and sell it for 60 bucks or whatever the, comp, you know, the opportunity is. But if I go and buy a stock and they're going to pay me, you know, two, three, four bucks a share, I'm going to make that money regardless of the, the stock price. And maybe we should talk a little bit about the relationship between stock dividend and stock price because most people have a misconception there. So yeah, I, I run into that quite a bit, that? but yeah, go ahead and talk yeah. about it because I've, I've noticed when I do the explanation that people are like, oh, well, that, make, that makes so much sense. So just go ahead. Yeah, I mean, in the, and the scary thing is, I mean, this is stocks have been around for a very long time. The very first stock to pay a dividend was in India in the 1400s. <laughs> so this is like centuries old. I mean, the first stock in America to pay a dividend was in the 1600s or 1700s. Don't quote me on that because I can't remember the exact date. But I know as our, our team, we looked it up and I can't remember off the top of my head. But it was a long time ago. So this is, this is very old money management. So when a company pays a stock dividend, their board of directors gets together and they decide how much they're going to pay per share. So when you buy a stock, you buy shares of a stock at a price. And the price is very volatile. It moves up and down on a second basis. I mean, it's constantly being volatile. 
the shares that you own don't fluctuate. If you own 10 shares, you own 10 shares. The only way it goes up or down is if you sell or you buy. It's the only way your shares change. Your price, you have no control over. You know that, I know that, everybody knows that. And most people associate as the price goes up, I'm going to get paid more dividends. As the price goes down, I'm going to get paid less. That is not how it works. The board of directors decides how much dividend they're going to pay per share. Say it's a buck a share. It doesn't matter if that stock's 10 bucks, 50 bucks, 1,000 bucks. You still get paid $1 per share you own. So if the stock goes from $100 and through this pandemic goes down to 40 bucks, you still get paid a dollar a share. So the dividend is not anywhere near is, is volatile. Now, the board of directors can decide to suspend the dividend, lower the dividend, increase the dividend. And here's the crazy part. We've been doing this for, for a very long time, managing dividend portfolios. We target a 6%, as you know, Sean, uh, income stream. So that means somebody puts in $100,000 into a portfolio. They're going to get about $6,000 of income plus the growth or loss of the stock portfolio. So through this pandemic, I mean, the market has been crazy. <laughs> and our portfolio is less today in value than it was in January. And we had a client come in for review. We've been doing reviews to this whole pandemic. But I had one in earlier this week. And we went through the review and we looked at their balance January 1 of this year. And we looked at their balance as of the earlier this week when they came in. And it was pretty significantly lower. I think it was in the 8% range of where it was, 8% less than it was in January, which I'm not too disappointed that. However, their dividend was 6% higher. So the income through this worst environment that you, I, anybody listening to this, I don't care how old you are, this is the worst financial correction market adjustment that anybody has seen that's alive in today's environment. And yet the income went up 6% over where it was in January. So let me ask so, you yes. a question before, you, before Go you keep going, because I get a lot of questions and I, I love when we go through this, but the question is, how does my income go up when the value of my portfolio goes down? So companies in situations like this, they're just as worried that you're going to sell your stock as you are that you're going to lose your value. So it's this double dynamic. You've got the investor, you know, I bought it for 60 bucks a share. It's already down to 50. I don't want to lose it and drop it to 40. I'm just going to sell now. And the company, the stock company is going, well, hey, our stock value is falling, economic events, health crisis. We have to do something to stimulate to our, our investors. Hey, we're strong. Don't sell our stocks. So the board of directors will get, get together and say, hey, we're going to increase our dividend from a dollar a share to a dollar six a share or something like that, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a 6% increase. But what will take place in environments like this is companies in the vast majority, well, not the vast majority, about 40% of the stocks that we hold increased their dividend. You know, they didn't suspend it. They didn't decrease it. They didn't it. do a Ford you know, Motor Company and suspend it? No. I mean, a lot of companies did. And that's right. where you, Sean, that's where advisors, you know, our, our company, that's where we come in and you pay for good advice and management because you want to make sure you're in the right stocks. But 
there are so many companies out there in this environment that increase their dividend. And on the other side, there's plenty of companies that decrease. Right. So how are they able to, when there's a global pandemic and the economy's shut down, go and increase the dividend and still be a viable company? Cash. You know, the the simple answer, the blunt answer is, you know, the position of, of how the company has been structured. You know, how much cash do they have in the, in, in the bank? Uh, how much debt do they have? What's their, their PE ratio, price per earning? So, you know, the, how much leeway do they have to lay off on, on the economy? Because as the economy slows down, and we're also assuming <laughs> that their business slowed down. That's a big assumption because there are plenty of businesses that exploded through this pandemic. So, you know, don't, don't, I wouldn't just assume that they got hurt. Like Clorox, there are plenty of companies out there that, you know, we can think of that just exploded in growth. And actually, one of my buddies who lives in my neighborhood, uh, we exercise quite a bit together. He actually works for a company and his one of his largest one of his largest clients is Clorox. And he was telling me this was a month ago. He said, you know, I I talk often with the top execs at Clorox and they said that their as of a month ago or whatever it was, 6 weeks ago, their profit was 116% year over year up from where it was a year ago. And he said, if we stopped selling, this is one of the top executive clerks, if we stopped selling our product today, this is six weeks ago, it would take us four months just to restock the shelves of the marketplace. So when you say, how can a company pay, how can a company do X in an environment like this, there's a lot of assumptions in that. Now, there are plenty of our companies that were hurt, like oil and gas. There, there are plenty of companies out of retail, real estate, that were hurt in, in environments like this. And that's where you have to do your homework up front and make sure that a company has enough cash. And I like to look at companies from the standpoint of, hey, if everything went to you know, a very bad place, how long could they handle not receiving typical profits and still pay their dividend? And I would like to see at least eight periods of paying dividends. So that's basically two years of dividend payments with reduced or less than stellar earnings. So obviously that's what we're going to see. But on the flip side, we're heading into an environment where we're going to have incredibly strong sales throughout the remainder of the year. So at least that's my prediction. We'll see what happens. Right. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens, especially with the election coming up and uh, all the political and social unrest, but at the same time, in the midst of all of that, in the midst of a pandemic, people are still able to plan for their retirement the way that they need to, which has been a really cool thing to be able to help people and, you know, like you said at the beginning, serve. So you recently well, wrote a, 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 no, a new book, right? Absolutely. Actually, just came out this week. It's actually not even available I got it. Um, we haven't even, we're not, it hasn't been technically released yet, but it's Mastering the Art of Financial Planning. It took me a few years to get this uh, work published and, and out there and uh, written, really. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very excited about it. 
It's written in three sections. The first section is really the fear that the investor is faced with when investing. It's the big money. It's the, it's the big outfits. It's the fraud. It's the dangers. It's the skepticism. It's, it's why financial advisors have a bad rap, which is the whole first section. Rightfully so. There's been lots of corruption, unfortunately, in this space. And, and I just bluntly talk all about it in the first section. The second section is all about real true blue planning. And, you know, when it comes down to it, there's nothing more important to a client. And, and you do this very well, Sean. There's nothing more important than planning exceptionally well. If you're a coach out there, you know, if you're a manager, I mean, having a strategy on how you're going to accomplish something, having a game plan on how you're going to go attack a Super Bowl or, or the big game, that's vital to success. Well, how is that any different in retirement planning? So the second section of this is what constitutes and how do you build a really good plan for retirement? And the third whole section is execution. What good is it to have a plan if you don't know how to execute it? So it's, it's the fear and anxiety and stress that holds you back. It's how to plan and how to execute is how, really how the, the book was written. Uh, the one thing that I do like is that that coaching part and the execution part requires the relationship with, you know, say your advisor and you as the consumer to be one where the consumer is being educated and they're learning and they understand the moving parts and the processes. They don't have to have, you know, the whole flight manual on how to fly 747, but you have to have the basics so that you can actually have proper execution. Yeah. I mean, again, that's where you, your, your firm, what you do so well in empowering your clients. I mean, I know firsthand when you take somebody through a plan, you almost want to teach them in a way where they can do it themselves. So it's not so much, hey, here, I'm your advisor and you're beating your hands on your chest and I know how to do all this and you need me. It's not that at all with you. You help your clients build plans. You empower them to do it themselves. Now, what's unique is a lot of them will say, well, Sean, I, I want to work with you. You've taught me so much. You're, you're so good at it. Um, I want you in my life, which is amazing. But your whole approach is I, I want my clients to know how to plan, what to do, and why. I don't ever want them to doubt you know, where the advice is coming from and why I'm making certain recommendations. They can come to those conclusions on their own because you've empowered them and that's your planning process. And that's why we get along so well is because you've embodied such a good service first, such a good empowerment of your clients from their perspective. It's their best interest. And you're just in coaching and training and, and building them up, which is just so awesome, by the way. I just, I love how you approach your business and it's been, it's been awesome getting to know you about it. Well, thanks, Paul. I really appreciate those kind words. And, you know, ultimately, it's about uh, teaching yourself out of a job in a way. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. Great. Well, let's switch gears just a little bit here. Uh, I have an interesting question for you. I ask all my guests. What are you curious about? What am I curious about? Gosh, uh, don't want to get into politics, uh, but super curious about what's going to happen later this year. Um, I would also say, uh, curious about, I, I love to travel and this doesn't have to be about finance, right? No. Um, 
I absolutely love to travel. It's one of my favorite things in the world. And uh, I, that was a, I think that was a, a pun in there. Um, <laughs> but um, but I, I'm super curious as, as to different cultures and how they live. Um, I learned so much about serving people. I learned so much about our business by seeing how other people operate, um, other cultures, other societies, and how they run and what they do, um, how they run their day. So I'm very curious to learn about different areas in the world that I've not been to. Have you ever been to Japan? I have not. I went to Japan a, a few years ago with one of my best friends uh, just to do some martial arts training because it was a dream that we always had together. We spent a couple weeks there, but you were talking about how cultures are so much different. And one thing that really struck me when I was in Tokyo, weird, mon- very mundane thing, but it was so strikingly different than the culture here is there's a lot of escalators and really, really long escalators to go from, uh, you know, the top of Tokyo down into the subway system and back up. And in Japan, there's a line in the middle of all the escalators. And everybody there is so polite and respectful that the one part of the line, which is the right side, is where you're supposed to stand if you don't feel like walking up the escalator. Whereas the left side is for people that want to walk. And all the native Japanese are so polite and respectful that they all stand on the right side. The only people that wouldn't be doing that were people like you and me or somebody that wasn't from Japan that might be standing in the, the walk lane. But it was just a, so they're they're not just, in a hurry. No, I, well, sometimes they are, but they're leaving room for the people that are in a hurry to be able to walk. So Americans on the flip side are all on the left side standing. Yep. <laughs> and then there's people, you know, in the fast lane, and they're like, you know, get out of my way, you know, or. Oh, and they wow, won't even say anything. Awesome. They'll just, they'll just, you'll, you'll get like a traffic jam. It's like, you know, somebody in the left lane of the freeway that's going slow. They'll, they'll be stuck there, and they won't even know that there's somebody behind them. And the, and the, the Japanese are so polite that they're just standing there waiting for the person to move, and they won't say a word. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, just a cool little interesting culture thing. But let's wrap this thing up. And before we do, is there anything that I should have asked you that I didn't? I mean, gosh, Sean, we could, you and I, I mean, we could talk for hours. <laughs> right. You know, I, I don't I don't think that, I mean, sure, I'd love to get into more more of the panic and stress and, and things that, you know, we we should or shouldn't do as investors and advisors. But if there's one last, you know, note that we could really leave the the listener, the people that are going to partake in the show, would really just be to make sure that they've got a good, robust plan. And if there's any last thing I would say is you got to meet Sean. You know, if you don't have a plan, if if you haven't taken him up on on an offer to to sit down, which I, you probably don't even bring up because you're you're so polite, you must have learned a lot in in Japan would be to to call up Sean in his office and and sit down and, and get a plan because the planning process that he goes through is is just awesome and and it's empowering and it's freeing and and there's no better time in the stress and anxiety of this environment that we're in to know that you are on track and if you're off how to get back because so many of us are stressed right now. I mean, I've been stressed more than ever, and I don't have anything to worry about financially, but the anxiety is just overwhelming. So we're all in this tough place. So don't stay there. Go plan. Sit down. Empower yourself. 
and find the freedom and confidence that you desire and deserve for your future. And that can very quickly happen by sitting down with Sean and getting a plan done. Well, Paul, thank you very much for your time today and for all the information that you shared. As always, I really enjoyed this conversation with you. So if people do want to find out a little bit more about you or your book, where can they go? Um, They can go to insightfolios.com. I don't really have any anything about our book out yet, um, but that will be <clears throat> Mastering Art of Financial Planning will probably be the website. Uh, we own that domain, but uh, but insightfolios.com would be, be the place to start. Great. Thanks, Paul. And for those that are listening, this has been another episode of the Safe and Sound podcast with Sean Sparkman. Please uh, catch us next week. We're going to always bring in more interesting guests and interviews so that you can get educated and you can build that safe and sound lifestyle for yourself. So thanks again, and we'll catch you soon. Thanks for listening to Safe and Sound Radio with Sean Sparkman. Sean Sparkman. If you have questions or would like to suggest a topic for future shows, contact Sean at 313-246-9278 or visit the website at www.safeandsoundretirement.net. That's www.safeandsoundretirement.net. I must leave.